been doing this for the last seven years. Right. Uh, we operate more in Lebanon. At first, we went to Jordan to do our stuff. But I think in Jordan, it's a little bit difficult right, to enter the camps. So we switched to Lebanon, which almost has a free entry. So you can just go to any camp. But a little bit of uh, background about me, I'm 58, right? I've been doing this for seven years. I don't park myself there. I go there and come back. So every year we went twice, right? During Ramadan in May and during uh, winter time in no November to January. So we just came back in June for Ramadan. And we are going again in November for winter eight, right? I'm a counselor by profession. So you ask, uh, you ask uh, me, uh, what, what is a counselor doing? Uh? <laughs> he made you in trips, right? So I guess uh, it's something that uh, matters to me, right? In Singapore, we uh, counsel those who are jobless, also uh, homeless and divorced. So I think in the part of the Middle East, we have a lot of this uh, category of people. Because they are displaced, right? I think that's uh, a bit more difficult, right? So I have 68 slides. I promise they are covered it within one hour. And after that, we will do a Q&A. Is it okay? Right, I promise you uh, by before seven now, or even 6.45, we can go. Right, I know some of you are tired. <laughs> right, thanks for really coming to grace the occasion. Right, I'll go through the slides. Right, some slides I will just skip by. And some I expound on it. Is that okay with you? Good. Okay, uh, no one chooses to be a refugee, right? I think in this world, yeah, who wants to be a refugee? You're out of your own country, you're out of your comfort zone. And you have to go to a place like Lebanon, which no one respects you and no one likes you to be in the country. So I guess these people have no choice and I think they need some of our help. Okay, this uh, NGO is termed Love Aid Singapore, right? We actually are very honored and proud to be, I think, the only uh, Singaporean NGO in the Middle East. I think there are individuals that goes up once or twice, but I think we are the one that goes up often. This like our seventh trip. And each trip we could um, receive about $30,000, right, $6. The last Ramadan trip in June, we received $40,000. That's actually our highest. No? right? It's not a lot. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it's not a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah, we wish we have more money, we can do more, but 40,000 to me is uh, the highest we can achieve uh, given our potential. We hope we can, you know, get more so we can do more. There's so much things we can do, but we are always limited by money, right? There's not enough money. Okay, why you do it? It's very personal, right? I think in Singapore, not many of us venture into the Middle East, a very potentially very dangerous place to do humanitarian work. Singaporeans are accountants, you know, doctors, they are uh, businessmen, you know, they want to make money. I mean, I need money, but I think at my age, probably a different kind of motivation, right? I want meaning, right? I want to do things that I like, and of course, I want to serve the people, right? to make this world a better place. Yeah, this uh, slogan that I actually cherish, right? You have only that amount of number of years, I'm 58. So I guess if I can live another 10 years, right? It's the last 10 years that I can give to humanity. I want to give it the best that I could uh, with my life. 
Okay, uh, some personal stuff, why I do it, right? I'm divorced six, seven years ago. It's, uh, it's a very bad for me, right? It actually affects me quite a lot. Because uh, also my mom passed away too. So it's like two in one tragedy, <laughs> right? So I began a lot of soul searching, right? Ask myself, you know, should I carry on working, pay my bills and die? Or should I do something different no? and make my, my life more interesting? So I chose the ladder. I actually quit from my job nine years ago, right? Without uh, income, right? Without a stable income to do things that I like. So after eight years, I say, I'm, I'm not doing too bad, right? I can still uh, afford a room, right? I rent a room. I can still eat and come and talk to you. I thought it was not too bad. It's decent, right? And I think the important thing is I like what I do. Right? I like to give and uh, that, I think, is my motivation. So also, my daughter is 25. In fact, I just came back from Sydney right, this morning uh, visiting my daughter. She's 25. She's uh, graduated. I want to leave a legacy for her. Like if I die tomorrow or the next year, right, it's something that she can tell my grandkids. That, you know, you have a granduncle, a granddaddy, who always goes and do this, you know. I think you should be proud of your granddaddy, you know. So I think I want to leave a legacy for her, right. Yeah, let's go a bit in-depth into how serious is the refugee crisis. I think you know, right, the whole Middle East is in a crisis, right, from Lebanon to Turkey to, uh, right, Iraq to Jordan, right, everywhere is wet. Right. The Syrians are all over the place. You have 3 million in Turkey. Actually, it's 3 million, not 1 over million. Because these are registered. There are more than 2 million that are not registered. So technically, you have 3 million. And there's about 1 over million in Lebanon, which I'm based. Right. Also, in Jordan, you probably have about 1 over million as well. And some in Egypt, North Africa, and Iraq. So these are the places that if you want to do humanitarian work, these are places that you can go. Well, I'm more based in Lebanon. I actually uh, did my stuff first in uh, Jordan, but it's so difficult to enter a camp in Jordan because you have to apply a visa from the UN and it takes months no, to get uh, entry right, from the UN to visit a camp. So I came down to Lebanon, and it's free entry. You don't need a visa. You don't need a permit. You just walk into a camp. But of course, <laughs> I was it between Lebanon and Jordan. Lebanon is definitely more dangerous, right? People carry guns around. You can hear gunshots, machine gun firing in the distance, and you can hear explosions sometimes. So these are the stuff you have to grapple with. If you want to make a trip with me, <laughs> right in November, so I, will, I wouldn't say it's entirely dangerous, but it's certainly not safe. Right, people get still still get killed by car bombing. So if you can you can take a a van or with someone that has a car a bomb with her, yeah, if she unleashes it, yeah, you're dead. So it still happened, but not recently, probably a couple of years ago. But it's tense in Lebanon because it's very close to Syria. And it's just next door to uh, Israel. So every day you can hear news about something happening in, in the part of the world, especially between Lebanon and Israel. Right? Technically, they're at war because uh, the Hezbollah is also in, uh, in uh, Lebanon. Yeah, these are some of the facts, right? 
I am more based in uh, Becca, right on the right side, about 300 over 1,000 refugees there. Right. I did my work there. Right. We work with Syrian uh, refugees, children. We like to work with schools, schools children, because I think we see the potential in them. Right. Because you have one whole generation of uh, Syrian kids wiped out right, in this crisis. But we are so limited. So we say, hey, Gilbert, how can you fund a school? It costs like three, four hundred thousand US a year of budget for a school of about 500 kids. So what we do is we go on a special uh, mission, like we found like textbooks, it costs 10,000. So I said, we can, I think we can do it. Below 10,000, we can take a look. But we are not looking at 50, 100,000, I don't think we can help them. So we do Christmas stuff, right? We went last year, we do Christmas party with uh, 200 kids and they have a fun, right? It don't cost a lot, it costs about two, 3,000 US. But hey, you're looking at benefiting a huge school of uh, 1,000 to 2,000 kids right? for a day of fun. I think it's worth it. Right? For the whole day, they have fun. They forget about the misery of war. Right? They, they could look on the bright side. I think most importantly, they could feel that there's love in the world, that people, someone like Asian from Singapore is there to help them. I think that warms their heart. So I think we go on that basis rather than, oh, you know, I don't have 100,000, I can't do much. I guess the basis is you can do something with some money, right? But of course, you have more money, you can do a lot more. But I don't believe if you don't have money, you can't do anything. I started off with 10,000, my first trip. But it has progressed to 40,000. So I guess uh, it's a long haul, but I don't believe if you don't have a lot of money, you can't do much, you can do something. Yeah, the sad part about Syrian refugees are the children, right? Sometimes I look at them, yeah, I, I, I cry in my heart. Because you know they don't have a future. Even though they have a good education, which they don't have, right? There's no future, right? The government in Lebanon will not allow them to work, right? In Lebanon or even in Jordan. So it's a hopeless situation. 60% right, of uh, Syrian kids, each 15 and below, don't actually have a formal education. So you're looking at 40%, right, which is uh, less than three, 400,000 of uh, Syrian refugee kids in Lebanon that has a decent education. And some of the, the classrooms are miserable. Like we ever went to a classroom during winter where you don't have a heater in the classroom. So they actually have to sit close together, right, to keep warm. So these are the situation that you find in the camp, right? Yeah. Also, uh, a lot of kids between five to twelve, right? I think about twenty percent or less actually have to work, right? They are forced to work, so there's no choice. If you have six kids, yeah, one or two of them will actually end up working, right? In laying bricks, right, or clearing rubbish, or selling tissue paper. Right. So these are the situation in the camp. Yeah, also during winter, like last winter was quite severe. I think about 12 kids and be, uh, at the age of 10 and below actually passed away because of the cold. Right. So every year you see kids, elderly people passing away. 
right? If you don't have decent uh, clothing, and a lot of the time is they have a heater, but they don't have oil. They don't have the money to buy the oil to to heat up the the, the room. So it's a it's a I think a miserable situation where you have the heater, but there's no oil. So it's cold, and at, in January the place is sub zero. Means you have minus ten. It goes up to minus twenty. So in January it's particularly bad, right? In uh, the north part of Lebanon. Okay, these are the problems I felt they face. Like they feel hopeless. A lot of the refugees don't feel they have hope. Right? I think this is the ninth year of the Syrian crisis. So they can't work. So every day they wake up, they smoke, you know, or they just uh, waste the time. Right? There's no work for them. So they also they also have a lack of medical treatment. I think the place that I go to in Bekaa, right, has a high incidence of breast cancer among Syrian women. Some speculate that because Israel have dropped bombs before along the Bekaa era, so there's this uh, you know uh, uranium deposit over there. But every three or four families we went, yeah, we could spot a Syrian woman having cancer. It was quite alarming, I thought. Every three families we went, at least one woman would have uh, breast cancer, and they are young, and they will die because there's no money. The Lebanese government, the hospital won't treat you right, unless you have money. And you're talking about 30,000, 40,000 right, US dollars. No future, yeah. I think this is the main problem I felt when I visited them. They don't feel there's a future for them, there's no hope. Right, it's quite bleak, uh, the talk, <laughs> quite depressive. <laughs> yeah, and they're hated by the Lebanese host, right. So a lot of them, you know, when they go to a shop, they'll be ignored or shunned, you know, by the Lebanese people. And some will even spit at them. And they can't retaliate, these Syrians, because they have to be there, you know, for safety's sake. So I guess the problem will get worse. Right. In fact, it's already quite bad. The trip that I went, when I came back, they were instructed by the Lebanese side to torn down concrete walls of the camp that's above 1.5 meter. So let's say you have a camp wall that's above 2 meters. Right? They actually ask you to demolish up down to 1.5 meters. Right? It's actually to prevent them from settling down permanently. Right? It's a tactic like, to move them, to make them feel uncomfortable that you're not welcome here, you know, please don't stay in my country, you know, we are already very, very taxed, right, please go back. I think that's the message they're trying to send to the refugees in Lebanon. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> this one, yeah, as an uh, NGO, we face uh, barriers like language, I don't speak much Arabic, they don't speak much English, so you, you feel, oh my God, <laughs> sometimes we end up, end up in a quarrel. I can take a taxi, you say it's $3, but sometimes you're mistaken. So when you drop off, they say it's $5. So are you going to argue with them? So more often than not, I can't beat them, <laughs> I pay them. I say, just take the money. <laughs> right. So, but to me, my biggest barrier is language. I don't have an interpreter. Because right, it costs money. Culture, yeah, culture is also my biggest issue. Like they, most of them are Muslim. So when you see a Muslim woman, right, you're actually not supposed to 
talk to them too nicely. Right? It's not it's not allowed. Right? So I have to learn not to talk to women <laughs> in the part of the world and stick to the men. It's safer. If not, you might get into some trouble. Right? This my experience. Uh. Oh. Also, terrain, yeah, the terrain, because it's dry, well, the place is very dry. Uh, during winter, it's moist, right? During winter, it's cold and there's a lot of moisture. So, as a Singaporean, we are not used to it. No. In fact, I fall sick three quarters of the trip, right? During last uh, winter, eight last year. So, terrain is desert, there's some desert sand too. You could breathe in some of the sand inside you. So, I don't know. I feel it's a challenge for me. Or maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> right? So, I, I fall sick three quarters of the journey last year. So, to me, terrain is an issue. And if you go in May and June, it's hot. It can go up to 40 degrees. You know, right? It's pretty warm. Politics, yeah, this is also very, um, a, a big challenge. Right? Because there's so many issues going around in the part of the world that it's best not to talk to them about politics because it can get you killed actually. Right, so I, I don't entertain politics. But some of the camps we visit have Palestinians and Palestinians are you know, quite fierce about what they stand for. So I told them I'm not going to talk about politics, so I'm sorry, but I'll help you. Right? I'll provide you the help, the support, but no politics. I think we also in Singapore seen as very pro-Israel, right? So it makes my job harder because <laughs> they know if you're from Singapore, you're very, very pro-American and pro-Israel, and that don't help us actually, right? My first two trips, I couldn't actually gain their trust. First, I'm Asian. Second, I'm a Christian. Third, I'm from Singapore. Well, how hard can it get? No, <laughs> first two trips, no one talks to me or they just talk superficially, I could not gain their trust. But this is my seventh trip. I'm honored or I'm proud to say I'm welcome as a brother. And they, can, they will even ask me to stay with them, right, if I don't have a place. So I think we have come a long way. I'm, I'm proud to represent Singapore in this uh, humanitarian effort, right. Thank you. Also, religion, yeah. A uh, very hot topic. <laughs> Lebanon has 18 religions, but mainly make up of Christians and Muslims. Right. So, I'm a Christian and the refugees are mostly Muslim. So, it's, it's not easy, I tell you. Because the first thing they ask you is not your name or your country. They ask you is what is your faith? The first thing a Muslim refugee will ask me, what is your religion? So I just say, um, I'm a Christian. But, like I say, over seven trips, right, we managed to gain their trust. So we now could break the barrier of religion. Because I think you know in Lebanon, there's a 15-year civic war, right, from 1975 to 1990. It's a war fought between Christians and Muslims. So... Religion is big, right? Don't talk religion. <laughs> if you do, you get yourself killed. And they don't trust you also. They will think that you're trying to convert them. In fact, when I ran, I say I'm a Christian, they have half a mind thinking, no, I'm an evangelist. You know, I want to convert them to be a Christian. But I don't do that, right? 
So the last one, yeah, donation, yeah, money. I, I don't like to talk about money, but it's a big issue. Right. Yeah, without money, you can't really do much. Right. A lot of things like tanks, uh, food, you know, um, oil, heater, blankets, clothing are money. So a lot of the things that we do are constrained by money. Right, sad to say. And Singapore, we are quite rich. So I always you know, to Mr. Balahari that, you know, we can do something in the Middle East. I mean, we are, there's the technicality of religion and politics, but I guess we can do something in the Middle East, right? As a humanitarian platform, right? Not religion or politics. Right, so this is my barrier we face, right? Someone asked me, uh, do you go with a group or do you go alone? Uh, I don't know whether it's good news or bad news. Out of the seven I went, Six trips I went alone. Just nobody there to follow me. Some say, "Oh, I want to go with you, you know." But and uh, my wife said, "I can't go." You know, my daughter said, I can't go, or oh, I don't dare to go. But the last trip, the uh, humanitarian trip, where a girl came along, right? Uh, a, a Chinese French girl from Singapore came. She did her meditation stuff, right? So she imparted. Uh, meditation skills to the refugees. Yeah, I appreciate her. She's a gutsy lady. She's only 27. Right. That trip was a bit risky because we heard machine gun firing away about 200 meters from us. Two machine gun firing. And along the way from our house, we could hear a gunshot very, very close to us. We don't know what happened because we don't know fire. <laughs> so we just left. But she's got see right, this uh, French Chinese lady who came along. Okay. Yeah, I'll go through quickly, right? Our local NGOs, partners and programs. Yeah, we work with a German Syrian NGO called uh Jasmine Haifa. Right. This is uh uh NGO that's actually based in Berlin, right, in Germany. And the good part about them is they have uh uh, Lebanese and Syrian people, right, based in Lebanon. So whenever I go down, I will just call up this guy, call Mr. Abdullah, and we do things together. Like this is uh, during Ramadan two years ago, we actually have a small little contract tied up to provide X number of meals, right, to the refugees. So this is one of our close partner, right. We also give uh, oil heaters and also. Uh, clothes, right, to the refugees that we visited. So we are more, this group is more based in the back car, right, after the North Lebanon area. Yeah, this is a meal that we provided for three refugees. It costs $6, right. It looks decent, right, quite yummy. Actually, I love it. It's actually like roasted uh, chicken, right, with uh, very yummy rice. So each time we go to uh, to Lebanon, we prepare this after meals for them. Of course, we provide like 200 meals, so it costs about thousand uh, to US, right? Something like this. Yeah, this part of our after uh, programs, like six dollars for three refugees, and not bad. We collected close to for this particular uh, occasion about twenty thousand, right, sing dollars. So we could feed about five, six hundred, 
the refugees for a distant day or meal. But I think what broke my heart is sometimes they will tell me, oh, you're the only one. No? I hope it's not a lie or to, to make me feel good. No? They'll say, oh, you're the only NGOs that came you know, to give them a good meal right, for the whole month of Ramadan. Oh, that really broke my heart. Right. It shows maybe a lot of NGOs are tired. They have uh, fatigue, you know, because it's nine years. Right. So when I heard this, yeah, it, I cried like, in my heart, not in front of them. But I think the most beautiful part is when we enter the camp, I think some of them recognize me. They don't know my name, but they know where I'm from. They say, Singapore, Singapore, Singapore. Wow, I tell you, I feel them proud, man. As my vehicle of meals, it's in the truck as I pass by the camp. A group of them were shouting, Singapore, Singapore, Singapore. Yeah, that makes my day, really. That gave me the motivation, you know, the the impulse to go back and back again. Right. I mean, it's not that I'm just doing work alone. I'm also representing my country. That didn't strike me, you know, really. <laughs> I thought I'm just one small fly, you know, a small NGO helping some refugees in the Middle East. But hey, right now, they don't look at me as an individual. They actually look at you as a country you now. They say you represent the country. You know, and I feel proud to, to, to be representing Singapore. Right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, uh, in the camp, right, so they were having, receiving our meals, right. So this man with the, the scarf, right, he's actually blind, you know. He's blind. So uh, when he came, yeah, we gave him a solid packet of meal, right, for his family. So we, yeah, we are happy that on that day he can actually have a decent meal and he could eat well, right, for that particular day. Yeah, these are some of the kids that receive our meals, right, on, in the camp in Becca. Yeah, a truck carrying our meals, right, uh, in the back end of Becca. You can see them all milling around the truck, right? It's a wonderful sight, right? Something that I always will not forget. Oh, yeah, another boy receiving uh, meals for his family. Yeah, some of the photos. We actually uh, breakfast with them. I'm a Christian, so <laughs> you asked me. Hey, I thought <laughs> this is only for <laughs> Muslim, but I don't think so, right? I actually add with them, but when they pray, I don't join them. But when they breakfast, I add with them. I thought that. Uh, helps them to acknowledge the fact that I'm with them. Right? I'm a Christian, but I'm with you. Right? I eat with you. I treat you as one of myself. Right? Also, they bother to include me into their fasting, uh, their after meals. So we actually breakfast outside a camp right, on the ground. It was beautiful. Right? Right? Everyone was eating, and there's no status. Right? Every one of us is equal when we sat down and ate together. That was beautiful, I thought. Yeah, we also um, distribute um, food pack, you know, uh, to camps. But I don't like to do this because it's very expensive. <laughs> like one box is about 60 or 50 US. So if you have $1,000, you can only distribute, like what, 20 boxes. So each time we distribute, we need like three, five thousand US. Because the camp itself is like, you have 200, 300 families. So you can't distribute to this side and this side don't have. Right, they are fight <laughs> or they kill me. So when we do this, we make sure we have enough money. Everyone gets a box 
Right? You don't complain, you don't fight. Because right? the fights occur sometimes. When certain, I don't know why, certain families don't have a box. Right? Maybe they are missed out or not enough. So I ensure before I distribute that everyone has a box. Right? Else it's, it's difficult and it's dangerous also. Because there are occasions whereby I don't know why some families don't have meals and there's uh, a big quarrel, right? They don't punch or kill, but it's quite verbal. Yeah, it's very heavy shouting and scolding. But I don't like that because it it make me feel endangered. There are mad reasons. No? I don't want to feel that. So I always ensure that everyone has enough. We try to get ten percent more, so that those who don't have, right, we have that extra ten percent to give up. Because right. I think it's safe, safety also. Right. And also, we are very mm, careful. I guess some, I don't know why, some guys, maybe they are troublemakers. They, they will throw rocks at us. Right. So if that happens, we also will not want to distribute. Because it's not safe, right? A rock hit you, you get blinded. So we always ensure there's safety, you know, that there's no danger. Right. And so we don't want them to carry weapons when they come out to take their stuff from us. Right. There are certain regulations that we want to impose. We try to. La. It's not easy right, to say, hey, you don't carry your, your knife or your gun. But there was once, I think he's mentally ill. This guy pressed a knife against my throat. Right. I really don't know why. I think he's not strong. He pressed a knife against my throat in one incident. I could not resist him. Because if I do, I get slashed. But somehow he withdraw the, the knife, right? And he went on his way. I think this other thing you have to, <laughs> to be aware of uh, if you do such work. Because anything can happen anywhere, anytime. Right? So you have to be prepared. But good thing I was quite calm. Right? I did not resist or like fight with him. I think I might get injured or killed too. Yeah, we have a beautiful logo, right? Thank you, Singapore, in support of Syrian and Palestinian refugees. That one is done by me, <laughs> right? But I thought it um, boosted, you know, the the occasion of where we have something to to thank the donors, more of the donors, right, than the country itself. So these are the boxes which we give up. Right, another uh, photos, right? Some photos of the distribution. Yeah, we went last year. Uh, yeah, we give out blankets and uh, heaters, right, to this uh, refugee camp right, in Becca. Yeah, the lady on the right in black is the one that follow me, right? She's French uh, Chinese, but a Singaporean, right? So I'm glad for her company because all all the time I'm alone. I went alone. No one comes, right? If you want to follow me in November, please let me know. <laughs> Right, but buy with some insurance. <laughs> yeah, these are the winter period where you can see the the mud, you know, and the soil. Right, it's it's pretty unsightly, and it's also snow in the north and west part of Lebanon. Right, and it could get quite bad. Right, where you can't walk and cars can't actually go up. Actually, wanted to visit during one of the trip last year, but I could not go up because the road was closed. There was too much snow, 
Uh, so these are the things that you have to be aware of if you do uh, trips over there. Yeah, also another photo. Yeah, uh, some photos of the, the heaters that we gave away. Yeah, okay, um, this is a school, right? Now school, we like to work with schools because we find they are the future, right? The children are the future of uh, the country. But the problem with schools is it's very expensive. Like in this particular program, we actually funded about 50 orphans in this school. It's a Syrian school based in Tripoli, Lebanon. So you're looking at about 12,000 US. So we gave away 12, 13,000 US for this program for 50 orphans that has access to one year of education. How many orphans are there in this school? About 300. So we could only help 10%. So you ask me, does money matter? It does. It does matter. Right? Because to me, I can fund 30, uh, 50. I'm very happy. But if I have more money, I can fund more. The problem about this is if you don't have the money, they might drop out of school. Right? They might not have a chance to study. And that's a shame, I don't. Right? Yeah, so these are the thank you note uh, done by the school children. Right? So I, I'm pleased I sent to the donors, and they're very happy. Yeah, thank you, Singapore, again. Right? Some of the kids thanking us. Yeah, another thank you. No, you, you can see they are young, you know, eight or below, and they have a decent chance at education. I thought I don't want to uh, disown them of that, right? But again, it's money, right? For this school alone, I think each year they are looking at half a million US, right, for the budget. You're talk, look, looking at a few thousand, two thousand kids, about three hundred uh, teachers. And the sad part about this school is some teachers sometimes don't have a salary because there's no money. So for a period, they work like free you know, until money comes in and they could receive the salary. And the salary is like five, six hundred US per teacher. Right. So it's sad, right? Things are not looking good. Yeah, we also did this the principle of that school, right? We also did a... Uh, Ramadan get together for the families, right? For the uh, children, right? I think about three, four hundred, right? Uh, people turn up. This we fund them. Right? I think it's up to, if I'm not wrong, two thousand US. We fund them for this program. Yeah, these are some of the photos, right, of the the Ramadan after uh, just just here. Yeah. Okay, that's the <laughs> well, maps, right? Another school, Syrian school. But maps is special, right? Because we have a video for you, right? Can play the video, bro. It's a three minute video, but it's very touching, right? Some of you might shed tears. Sabah al-Nur! Today we're going to learn Syrian. 
بس بدنا نرسم سوريا كيف نتمنى نحن نشوفها يا ترى بالمستقبل ونشوف كيف بتكون سوريا معمرة ومزدهرة من جديد شو رأيكم جاهزين؟ جاهزين والألوان وكثير بحب سوريا بحب أرجع على سوريا من جديد في مجال الرسم صراحة نحن غايتنا حتى نقدر نخلي هذا الطفل ينسى الماضي الكئيب والحزين اللي تركه خلفه بسوريا وينظر بتفاؤل بتطلع أكثر أكثر إيجابية في المستقبل We have a special relationship with MAPS right, called Multi-Age Programs. I think the kids, right, if you see, are you know, gorgeous. Right? So every time I look at them, I know, you know uh, they are still there every year when I see them. But someone will ask, hey, how come this particular kid not there? Some, they drop out. Maybe for girls, they married someone. Right? I think if you know that part of the world, you can marry four wives. So some of them, by the age of 10 or 12, they are married off. 
to alleviate uh, the hardship of the family. And some boys were dropped off to work. Right? So it's not a very encouraging sight. Right? For this school, my heart is broken because whenever I go back, the school string. You know? <laughs> the last time I went back in June, they string from 3,000 to less than 2,000. Means they don't have the money right, to, to bring in the kids. And the teachers also, their size string. Right, so these are the hard facts of life over there. Right. But I like maps because they do, did their best. They told me they are not closing down. They work for no salary. So I say, well, this group need, I mean, I want to help them. Right. They are doing their best right, to keep the school afloat, but it's proving to be difficult. And I don't know, I wish them the best, but I sincerely don't think they can make it because they're looking at six, seven hundred thousand US a year. Because the problem is they have six, seven satellite schools and the schools are all next to the camp, right? So they the children don't have to travel. But the problem about that is they have too many schools, right? You actually have a lot of overhead. So I think they're closing down certain schools to have less overhead. But I sincerely doubt because some of the teachers don't have salary for five, six months. Right, the last time that I went over. Yeah, part of MAPS, right, it's a very special school because it is a container type, right? They actually build schools out of container, right? Wonderful, right? So you have classes that's held in the Zing uh, matter container. And oh, I thought it was amazing, right? Each uh, class can have about 20, 25 students. Right, a school in maps right, with a boy last year. Yeah, this is uh, another of our uh, photos with uh, Chloe. Right, she came with me last year. Yeah, a school inside maps. Right, a container type. Yeah, also they, I think we celebrate Ramadan right this year for. A, sc a school again for them in Aksa. Right, Aksa is actually uh, previously held by ISIS, but after that, they have been liberated by the Lebanese army. Remember when I visited them, I was detained by the Lebanese army for two hours. Because they kept asking me, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm just uh, from Singapore. I want to help. I said, but uh, why? What, what makes you come? And they're not very good in English, and my Arabic sucks. So... In the end, they bring me out of the van. I actually have to sit in the army checkpoint post for two hours. It was a terrifying two hours. Because their weapons, right, and midway, they brought in a terrorist in handcuff. And all of the <laughs> army guys are in submachine right, uh, weapons. So it was terrifying. But after two hours, the school could actually get me out. But when I went to see... The kids, right? I mean, I saw their faces. They were happy, right? I think that that is worth it, lah. The two hours in the the army checkpoint, right? it was worth it because I could see the joy, right, in the kids' faces because we were funding them for their programs that day, right? and they actually waited me for two hours while I was detained in the army checkpoint. But that was the first time, oh, my you, out of the seven trips I went, that I was detained by the army, and I tell you, it, it's it's no fun. Lah. <laughs> because you know what's going to happen. But I was uh, encouraged by the fact that they offered me ice cream and food. 
So I think I'm not so bad. Lah. They didn't handcuff me, so that helps. <laughs> but I don't want to go through it again. Anyway, Exa is certainly not a place to go because it's uh, formerly ISIS control, right? But now it's been liberated. So certain places, I think it's better that I don't go. But I don't know, they need help. Because nobody goes. No NGOs goes to Exa because no one dares to go. So if I don't go, I don't know, right? I don't know, it's just me talking to myself. So this, uh, uh, some kids celebrating our EFTA uh, meals, right, in the school itself. Yeah, we also help Palestinian kindergarten at Shatila camp, right? Another very difficult group, right? Because they are there for like six decades, six, seven decades. So we have a good rapport with them. Right, we every year we go, we will do something with them, be it a Christmas camp, you know, uh, after celebration, or we buy clothes, uh, stationery for the kids. So we have a very good uh, rapport with this camp. Right, these are some of the classes in action. Right, yeah, this is the food, the pack that we provided for the camp. Right. If you know Shatila Kam is about less than one kilometers, right, uh, circumference, and it has about 20 over 1,000 refugees. So conditions are very bad there. And sometimes, because the wires are all over, right, some kids actually touch on the wrong wire and actually they get killed right, instantly by the wire, especially during winter. So when I go there, I'm pretty careful. <laughs> don't touch the wall, no, don't touch the wire, don't touch anything. <laughs> Right, so these are the stuff that's in the box, right, that we give out. It costs about 50 US per box, right. So we, we try to give uh, 50, 40 boxes, right, which costs about two, three thousand US. Yeah, this is some pictures of me giving away the food aid, right, to the Palestinians. Yeah, just a very brief rundown. It's one of the worst camps I've been. Right, it's stinky, and it's always wet and damp. There's no sunlight that penetrates through the camp, right? Because I guess it's the refugee camp, right? And they tend to stack uh, buildings on top of each other. Like it used to be two story, now it goes up to third, fourth, and fifth story. So they're actually building higher, but there's no space outwards, so they are topping it up, right? Yeah, some of the camp. Yeah, photos. Yeah, this, uh, I tried to run through fast, uh, quickly. Like, do you know in Palest uh, in the camp, right, if you're a refugee, you, you can be a doctor degree, you know, you can have a legal degree, but you can't practice. There's certain uh, vocations that are not available, right, to Palestinian refugees. So they face a future also like the students, uh, where you can study very hard, you can have a very good degree, first class, but you can't use it. Because the jobs are not allowed for you, right? So I think they run, lately I heard they have this um, problem of seeking medical care. I think you know about the US is stopping funds, right, to the Palestinians. So a lot of medical cases are not being taken care of. So these are some of the problems I face with them. I want to be fair, right, to help both. Because someone told me, why don't you focus on Syria and Gilbert? You don't have money, you know. You're doing so many things. But I thought it's fair that I help both sides. 
Palestinians and Syrians, but both have very different characteristics. I think you all know, right? Palestinians are fierce, <laughs> right? Quite fierce, and they don't mince their words. Syrians is a little bit more um, calm, more cool, and they are more negotiating. But Palestinians are really the top, top one. But I would say Palestinians are outright. They are very uh, outspoken. They are very verbal. They tell you what, what they want. Right. But Syrians tend to, you know, they hide a bit. They want this, but they won't tell you, you know. <laughs> so it's like Chinese. <laughs> so I guess both have their, their problems, right? And to deal with both, you cannot use the same skill. Right, you can't. Right, you have to to use uh, different sets to handle Syrians, a different set to handle Palestinians. Um, that's my personal viewpoint. Right. Oh. Okay. We also have a third or last um, NGO right, from Syria, Syrian Eyes. Of course, they are based in Lebanon. So normally, after after we have a celebration like our High Raya. Right, so we have a few days of uh, fun with the kids and the refugees. So we partner with Syrian Eyes. Of course, we fund them. Each time we went up with them, we fund them up to 1,000 US, right, to have a day of fun with the kids. So these are some of the stuff we did, right, with Syrian Eyes. Yeah, a kid smiling away after receiving a goodie bag, right? Some kids having fun. Yeah, how how do I survive? <laughs> yeah, I actually live in a Palestinian home. It's empty, right? So the whole house is mine. So it's a four-bedroom, right? I, of course, I pay rent. So it's on top of a mountain. So I live there. Whenever I go there, I will have my contacts. I have someone to pick me, and he'll send me to the apartment, right? Yeah, this is the apartment, right? Uh, that's me uh, in the kitchen. And that's the the, the the area, right? The house area. Yeah, so this part of the beautiful part about Lebanon, right? They have a beautiful sunset right over the sea. Yeah, they also have a constant blackout. So sometimes we are having dinner in the middle of it, watching TV, there's a blackout. <gasps> My God, that's the worst thing that happened, especially in the shower. You have a blackout. My God, <laughs> in the, in the, at night, no, no hot water, and it's dark, right? So this is uh, something that I don't like. But I think the last trip, I kind of only experienced once, only one blackout. But most trips is like 10 times, you know. Sometimes you can have three blackouts in, in one day. <gasps> My God, right? this I don't like. Because we like Singapore, no blackout, <laughs> never. <laughs> but over there, you have to experience blackout. Oh uh, yeah, I'm a bad cook. <laughs> That's me. So most of my meals are Maggi noodles, you know, very uh, chum, you know, <laughs> egg with uh, spaghetti, you know. These are the skills that I like. So if you are humanitarian, you want to go for trips. If you can cook, it helps you a lot, right? Oh, yeah. What you can do, right? I mean, after hearing this, there's about forty of you, right? You can give emotional support. Right, I have a card over there. That's an email. Right, I actually feel um, lonely. I feel stressed out. Right, sometimes I do have bad uh, bad days. Right, if someone can email me or even talk to me, 
Or just say hello, you know, Gilbert, how are you? I heard you're still there. I think that will help me. That will show me that I'm not alone. <laughs> right. So that will help. Seriously. Financial support, yeah, of course. Then uh, practical support, like, I don't know. Some, I think they send stuff, right? They send things over. I, I try not to bring things over, but some actually do very nice handicraft for their kids. So I bring it over and give it to the kids over there. So if you can do handicraft, yeah, it's good. You can sew something, it means a lot to them. And prayer support, yeah, I need a lot of prayer, <laughs> right? Because it's not a safe place. And sometimes we have uh, a, a bad day uh, where like, we get detained by the army. Yeah, we need the support of prayer. So partnership support. I think some of you are from NGO, right? I know Linda is from NGO. So you might want to, I don't know, do some partnership with us. I don't know how it, it can happen. But it's certainly achievable. Like you heard of the NGO Free Food for All. Yeah, we do actually want to tie up with them to provide some free food for refugees in Lebanon. Not not now, maybe in the future. I think they are doing it in Gaza, right, for the Palestinians in Gaza, Palestine. So we cherish every partnership support that you can want to do something together. We are open, right? Well, I'll go through briefly, right? Um, yeah, you might want to follow me, you know, but you have to think of the consequences, right? You need to be high risk, right? I mean, you don't like go to the machine gun, <laughs> right? But you need to have a high risk profile. Uh, you must be physically fit because there's a lot of traveling. Uh, Sometimes one day I can travel eight hours, right? So you're, you're looking at a very small minivan. No? I don't have a chauffeur car. So you must be able to be physically fit to take the journey, right? Because it's not easy. Oh, because you're uh, traveling in a very small packed minivan. Right? In fact, I fainted once or twice, right, the last trip. Because maybe I was too old <laughs> or fatigued or I'm like too tired or too hungry. Because there are times that we don't take a meal because the, the trip just move, you know, without you thinking, oh, it's lunch or it's dinner, because things just happen, and you don't eat sometimes for the whole day. So it's good if you are, must be fit, right? That's, if you have heart problem, high blood cholesterol, then you think twice about going, <laughs> right? So you must be emotionally stable, right? Come under pressure. Like the guy put the knife up to my throat, right? I have to be calm. I can't react emotionally. Or when I'm, you know, interrogated by the army, I can't, you know, be very nervous or I can't have a breakdown. That won't help me, right? So team player, yeah, of course. Uh, involved with charity work before, maybe in Singapore or abroad, right? I know some of you have uh, get yourself involved, right? In Bangladesh or in Indonesia or Malaysia with some work. Uh, yeah, uh, preferably single <laughs> without family. <laughs> I think the part about me is I am divorced. I only have a daughter. So if I die, there's not much liabilities. No? In fact, each trip that I went, I always have the mindset that, you know, something might happen to me that I won't make it alive. I think that makes it easier for me. If not, I'm like, oh, I'm worried you know, about this and that. You know, I don't want to go here and go there. So my, my 
personal conviction. Uh, each trip, I told my daughter that daddy might not come back. You know? right? I'm not threatening her, but I'm preparing her. Is something dangerous? So you have to be prepared. Right? Things might happen. But I, I don't think it's so bad. After seven trips, I'm still alive. <laughs> right? Can I speak some Arabic? That will help. Right? Because if not, you're in trouble. Like me. Uh, <laughs> right? Especially if you're detained by the army. Uh, understand Arabic culture, I'm sure right, you need to, right? especially the religion, politics part. Uh, buy more insurance, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a joke, uh, but it's good to have some. Yeah, we are making another trip right, in October to December, right, this coming year. So if you are keen in any way, want to support us, uh, that's my email. My name card is also at the front. right. So basically what we're going to do is we will get them heaters. We want to buy oil for them. Right? We also want to get some clothes, right? probably for the children and the elderly refugees. Right? Any target amount, we don't have. Right? We don't have a target amount. But we go with whatever amount we have. If I have 10,000, uh, I work with 10,000. If I have 30,000, I work with 30,000. This is my basis. Yeah, this uh, uh, icon, uh, someone that I respect. I think I draw a lot of uh, my conviction from her, right? Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody. I think that's a much greater hunger. Oops, it's gone. Over there. Then the person who has nothing to eat. I think over there, sometimes when you give them food, heater or oil, I mean, they appreciate it, you know, but do you know they feel your love more? It's not the things, no. Right. Somehow you give them very cheap thing, no? but they, they actually appreciate it. Because it shows someone cares and love for them. Right. It's not the item, actually. I got it wrong. I thought, wow, I must have a lot of money. You know, I must buy them very quality stuff. No? Then they appreciate it. Actually, it's not true. No? Some of the items you give them like to the boy over Ramadan, it's like less than 50 cents. But it's jumping up and down as though it's worth $50. So I realize sometimes it's the care, the love we show to them, right? That matters a lot more than the the price of the item. <laughs>